For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome back in. It's another edition of the Believe and Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I am Brady Farkas. Joining me in just a matter of moments will be the CFL Hall of Famer, the former Patriots quarterback two times, the legend, the Heisman Trophy winner, Doug Flutie. You can follow me on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. You can follow Doug on Twitter at Doug Flutie, Aaron Wells, is our producer pressing all the buttons. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.ag is the number one place to go in the internet universe to get your NFL bets in. You can get them in before the game. You can get them in during the game. You can get stack bets on top of each other. I love playing with BetOnline. I like the Giants. I told you, Giants minus three against Washington. Washington is a mess. Dwayne Haskins doesn't even show up anymore. Hopefully he's okay, but some people think he's, you know, doesn't really have an illness. They're just, you know, keeping him away from this facility. So this, the Washington football team is a mess. Giants get the win. They cover the spread minus three. You get your bets in. BetOnline.ag is the place to go. Aaron, to the podcast. What you're about to hear is a presentation of the Believe in Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. All the news, opinions, and insights on your six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Now it's your host, me, Brady Farkas, and Heisman Trophy winner, CFL Hall of Famer, and former Patriots quarterback, Doug Flutie. Welcome in, everybody. Again, it is the Believe in Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Brady Farkas, Doug Flutie, Aaron Wells pressing the buttons. Patriots getting ready for Denver. We think they're finally going to play the Broncos. Um, Doug, I want to start with this because we're going to have later in the podcast, uh, Nick Ferguson is going to join us. And he's a Denver radio host, former Broncos DB. He actually helped end a season for the Patriots in the early 2000s. he was on the practice squad when you were in Buffalo. So I just have a generic question, not pertaining to Nick specifically. Would you say you remember most of your teammates? I really would say, uh, yeah, you remember most of them. Okay. But there are plenty of guys that were in and out for a week or two or guys that were at camp, and especially defensive players that you don't spend that much time with. Because offense is always over there, defense is always over there, and you interact only on road trips a lot. We're in the locker room for five minutes. So, yeah, there's a there's a percentage of guys, a small percentage, that, that you really don't remember. You know, it feels kind of like high school to me in the sense that I went to a big high school, right? I had 700 kids in my graduating class. And if you mentioned to me a guy's name, I'd be like, okay, yeah, I think I, I knew him, but I couldn't tell you what class I had with him, this, that, or the other. Like, the names ring a bell but you're not quite sure exactly where you came across them. That's what I feel like maybe your career is like, especially for someone who played so long. Oh my gosh. I played in nine different professional teams. Yeah. So you're in all these training camps and guys are like, Oh, remember me? I'm like, what? Well, I was in camp with you in Calgary. I was in camp with you in British Columbia. Do you know who was in camp with me in Calgary? Who? Dwayne the rock. Really? Yes. Now he played football at Miami. Did you, I mean, like, do you remember anything about his football ability? Here's my interaction with The Rock. Here's this. Is, <laughs> and I shake my head about it now because I heard it brought up on a, he brought it up or it was a friend or foe thing. Um, we were in the weight room and I walk into the weight room area and there's a TV in there. And my brother played for Hamilton at the time and the game was on TV. Yeah. And I wanted to watch the game. And I walk in the room and they're watching pro wrestling. <laughs> and I'm like, turn this off, turn this off. I go, put the damn game on. And uh, so, we, you know, me being with my status on that team, right away, guys turn the station and, you know, we're watching the football game and I'm watching my brother play. Well, fast forward years later and The Rock's doing um, an interview and they uh, asked him friend or foe and they went through a list of people. And my name came up and he said, <laughs> foe. And and uh, they asked him why, and he brought up that incident that he thought I I dissed his boys 
in the weight room on the TV or whatever. So that was our, our interaction. Unbelievable. You know, real quick, before we get into the game, which we kind of covered last week also, but I got some more stuff for you on the Denver Patriots game coming up. But I was watching Buffalo the other night play Tennessee, and I was thinking to myself, I'm like, we had just taped the podcast. I was like, somewhere in my collection, I have a Doug Flutie Bills action figure. (laughs) And I called my mom back at home in New York, and I said, Mom, look in my box of stuff from when I was a kid. Tell me if you can find this. And she couldn't find it. And I'm like, I know I have this. He's wearing the, the, the blue jersey with the white pants. He's got the red Bills helmet. And then I thought, well, my college roommate was a diehard Bills fan and a specifically a diehard Doug Flutie fan. I'm like, well, maybe I gave it to him. And he said, no, you didn't give it to me. So somewhere unaccounted for, I have a Doug Flutie action figure. What is it like to have an action figure of yourself? Well, you say this, and I'm in kind of my trophy room area and all that. Yeah. And I look up on the wall. I see five bobbleheads, and behind <laughs> them, I see four of those starting lineup dolls. Yes, that's the one, the starting, the starting lineup dolls. One from well, Heisman, a San Diego, a Buffalo. There might be like two Buffalo ones. There's two Buffalo ones before. that were made. I know I'm a starting lineup expert. There's a Buffalo one of you in the white jersey with the white pants and the one in the blue with the white pants. And okay, I'm blue- off camera for two seconds. Okay. The blue is the one that I have, and it's the one that I can't find, and the one that I'm trying to figure out where it is. Because, like, I have a humongous collection of starting lineups, like multiple hundreds of them, okay. I'm sure. And so the the ones that are st- I left up there, a Heisman one and a San Diego one are still up there. I yes. have a white, completely white Buffalo one, and uh, early days New England Patriots. This is from the '80s. Oh my God! I think starting lineup the first year they were made was '88. That would have coincided this with your be, time. Uh, uh, this is nineteen. It said nineteen ninety on the back. Nineteen ninety okay. edition on the back for this. Unbelievable! Movie. See that also has my Bears rookie card in set too. Very very cool. See that's awesome. I love starting lineups. I'm a huge <laughs> collector guy, and I like the fact that you seem to be a collector. Well, my wife doesn't throw anything away, so we've got. <laughs> I mean. We have her high school megaphone over here from cheerleading. So we don't throw stuff away. Well, we'll just put it that's, that's good stuff right there. Aaron, let's get to the first impressions of this game with Denver. First impressions. So, Doug, the, this one of the many subplots of this game is how injured the Broncos come in, right? Von Miller's out for the year or out for most of the year. Cortland Sutton's out for the year at wide receiver. KJ Hamler's out for the year. The speeds are at wide receiver. I'm going to spin the question to you in two different ways. When you're the QB of an injured team, how do you handle things during the week? Um, you know, it's a day-to-day thing. So it's you attack that practice. Yeah. Uh, the, the coaches will game plan accordingly to who got who isn't and who is going to be available to them. So you're just executing plays, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I wish I had so-and-so running this route. I wish I could, or is he going to get back? Because we need speed to clear this side out. We need, you need that. And, you know, I always go back to Eric Mould stuff, but you need your go-to guy on the field because he can dictate coverage and open the other guys up. And if you're handcuffed, say you don't have your speed guy and you don't have your Julian Edelman third down guy, now you're looking for alternatives. Okay, now we got the backup guy who's almost as good, almost as talented, but I haven't worked with him as much. And on the option route, oh, I thought you were breaking out. No, I was sitting that down. It was zone. I was doing this. Yeah, it really wasn't zone. We're gonna. So your confidence level in each play, your confidence in hitting him coming out of the break is this much different. It's just a hairline different. You're waiting to make sure of the break, and then you're a fraction of a second late on a throw. Now, you know, still you've been working with these guys all training camp and all season, and the the rapport is there. The trust factor should be there. But when you've seen a certain guy run a certain route a thousand times, you anticipate it much easier. And, um, you know, the uncertainty sometimes kills you too when you think a guy's going to be available to you. And then all of a sudden on game day, you really can't go. That hamstring didn't come around. That and And that's – it goes into the game planning and play calling even more than it does for the quarterback on the field. It's crazy that you, well, it's not crazy that you say that because I would think intuitively the same way, but now I see wide receivers popping up that I've never heard of and being really good players. Travis Fulgham in Philly, you're, you know, you do Notre Dame games, Chase Claypool comes out of nowhere, three touchdowns. 
the other day for Pittsburgh, and, and a lot of people hadn't heard of him until uh, that they, game. By the way, Chase Claypool is a pure out stud. He, yeah, he's going to have a great career. But legit four three, they were saying in that game, like legit speed, legit speed, big body guy plays the ball in the air exceptionally well, strong. He he came into his senior year with a real attitude as mm. far as he wasn't going to get tackled. And he I, the first game, I don't know how many catches he had, but seriously, they couldn't he was breaking tackle after tackle, throwing had an attitude, just really um uh, you know it, it's it's amazing what a mindset does for you. And and Chase is going to have a great career. And I'm not going to throw shade at Notre Dame because I know you're on the broadcast, but that's that's counterintuitive to like the picture I have of Notre Dame players. We think of them sometimes as these nice church-going, buttoned-up guys who don't play with the edge of like a Miami or a Florida State. But Claypool evidently had that. Oh, he was tough. He's tough as nails. They're they're um, yes, they are an intellectual group. When we sit yeah. down and do interviews with these kids, you're almost embarrassed to be in the room with them. <laughs> where they talk about where they where they spent their summer, where they went on vacation, the things they do never entered my mind. I know. To, to do, yeah, when you're 18, you're 20 years old, and you're you're thinking at this level. But um, I'll tell you right right now, their offensive line is as good as any in the country. And I there's can... a definite rocky shot of Liam Eikenberg, their left tackle this week. <laughs> he got banged in the eye, and his eye was swollen shut. It was oh a my god, cut me, Mick photo i can picture those interviews at notre dame where you're like hey how'd you spend your summer vacation well i interned at goldman sachs and i uh you know served as this or that or the other i was on the board of this Corey robinson david robinson's son went there as a wide receiver he had some concussion issues and ended up not playing late in his career uh oh my god he should run for president this Mm. guy yeah i i'm just amazed at Corey, and and he did that he interned his internships, I forget, it was down in New York City. Um, they just impressed the heck out of you, all the stuff these kids do. Well, where I was going was, so Denver, <laughs> com- Denver comes in with multiple wide receivers injured, but wide receivers seem to be popping up out of nowhere. Do you yeah. think it's easier now, given the way the rules are, you can't be as physical on defense, is it easier to just throw in a new wide receiver and still be okay on game day? I think so. I think so. I, I said, you know, that trust, there's certain routes the, the option, as long as the guys have enough speed and ability to blow the top off coverage and you still have quality people, a veteran quarterback, a guy like Brady, he, he just, you know, inserted parts and guys step in and all of a sudden somebody out of nowhere had seven catches, 120 yards. Um, the trust factor is the one thing the the, the timing type routes, uh, there is no shortage of pure talent. I, I mean, I'm amazed at it every day when I see, um, kids at the college level, kids at I covered some what was the UFL games. Yeah. Um, when I played in Canada, you know, the pure talent level is out there. There's there's thousands of guys out there just waiting for an opportunity. So when they get their chance, and especially if the guy can be on a practice squad for a while and be really comfortable with the system before he still has to step in and play, he can be successful. The other thing that's a big storyline coming to this game for Denver on the field is that Melvin Gordon got arrested. As we tape this, we're not sure if Melvin Gordon's going to play. So he was my guy to watch last week in the opponent spotlight. Broncos leading rusher, ninth leading rusher in the NFL going into last week. Also, he gets arrested. If he doesn't play, that obviously changes the way Denver plays. You as the quarterback, what's going through your mind when you've got that, quote, distraction looming over you? Well, you know – you move on. It's funny. You know, when a guy gets injured, when a guy isn't available and something happens, you just move on and you, you go to the next meeting and the next practice and you lock in. You know, it's like, oh, so-and-so is not available this week. Let's go. Something like that that's off the field. And it was a, uh, a drunk driving incident. Yeah. Um, you The two things that enter my mind is either one, uh, exceptionally selfish move yep. or two really stupid. One of the, one of the two, you fall into those categories with that type of arrest. Um, and that just, that's, I think the players look at it, I would think as a selfish move. And that's frustrating because it didn't need to happen. And he should be available with all the stuff that's going on that could get guys out, you know, the COVID situation, the possibility of injuries, things that go on and, you know, that you can't control, control the things you can control. And, and that, that's very frustrating from a team standpoint. But 
That being said, the guys do move on very quickly and you say, okay, yeah, the coaches, the league, whatever, will make that decision whether he's available. And if he's available, they wrap their arms around him. We're all in and let's go. If he's not available, they start game planning without him and figure out what we're going to do. The team might bench him. The league might suspend him. He could, in violation of COVID protocol now, could be out for this game because of that. If I'm a defensive lineman on the Denver Broncos, I'm pissed. I'm not speaking to him. I'm opposite way of the lunchroom. You might have cost me a chance to win a game. You as the quarterback don't really have that luxury, do you? Don't you have to go and put your arm around a guy and coddle him a little bit? You do when they come back in and they're on the field. Okay, uh, You can have a one-on-one conversation with them about, decision-making and things of that nature, especially if it's a young player. Um, but, uh, you know, like I said, this particular instance, that's inexcusable. He knows it. Uh, the team knows it. You might, in a private conversation, bring that up. But for the most part, you're wrapping your arms around these guys because you got to win a football game. And this football yeah. game could determine whether you're a playoff team or you're home watching. You know, and you don't know that. You don't know when. You, and that's, you know, it, it even filters down to play-by-play play within a game. You never know what play is going to determine a game. So, um, you know, you just you pick up and you go and you forgive and forget and move on. And uh, you have to. Once he becomes available to you, he's back on the roster. He's on, And that's kind of what I was saying about guys that are outside. Yeah. When you aren't active or you're injured, you are on the outside. You are on the – and you feel that way. You're on the outside looking in until you're active and back playing. We always hear the phrase or about a team that plays down to the level of their competition. And that's human nature, right? When you don't think someone's as good at you, you have a tendency to put your to ease off the gas a little bit. If you're the Patriots now and you look at a Denver team, best defensive player is gone. Best wide receiver is gone. Best running back might be gone. Quarterback hasn't played in a few weeks. It looks like Drew Locke's going to play, but – he hasn't gotten the reps that he would have gotten if he played. How do you not eat? Like, what do you do all week to stay engaged? You <laughs> and Bill is very good at this, keeping the guys locked in on their day-to-day preparation. I always said that, you know, I said, I've talked about it before. Your day-to-day pressure preparation is what keeps you locked in and, and ready to play on Sunday. Yeah. And uh, we even mentioned um, about put your foot down and go. Look at the scoreboard at the end of the game and see how much we yeah. won. Right. And that's the attitude you have to take. When you have a team down, you got to bury them. You got to continue to keep them down. Don't give them hope. Don't don't fumble that second half kickoff when you're up 21 nothing. Don't don't give them a, a chance. And that's the attitude you take. And and Bill will find Bill will pull up a bunch of plays, um, whether it's of their defense making plays or his offense screwing up. It's like, hey, you want to give them the ball? Here, look, we do this. We did this last week. We just handed them the ball. We did this. Well, we didn't want to win that game. This, yeah, and that's kind of he will. He's not afraid to call out any of his own players. All that I've seen him call Tom Brady out in the meeting. Hmm. You know, so it's it just he'll keep you on edge, keep you motivated to to put your best foot forward. Last week on the podcast, I had a chance to talk with Zach By, Denver sports radio host, does a show with Brandon Stokely, former Super Bowl champion wide receiver. He told me a nugget that I didn't realize about the Broncos. Aaron, give me the cut, Zach By number one. This is something that really blew my mind. Well, I think the receivers and tight end group is phenomenal. I think they're going places. I think their trajectory is like one of the best in the NFL in terms of skill position players, where you have Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy. They drafted K.J. Hamler, speedster out of, of Penn State in the second round. Um, and then they have a first-round pick last year, Noah Fant, tight end out of Iowa. Yeah. So skill position-wise, they're, they're great. Problem is you need to block people in this league. Okay, I kind of ran – I called for the wrong cut. Aaron, give me give me Zach by number two. That's the real nugget I wanted. And I thought the Broncos <laughs> and John Elway made a mistake in the second round. You know, Brady, they were the seventh team ever, ever, to draft receiver-receiver in the first round, second round. Wow. Doesn't happen a lot. So they were the seventh team ever to go receiver, receiver, first, second round. Judy and then KJ Hamlin, I believe. Um, you as the quarterback, like I can sit 3,000 foot view and say, wow, that's wrong. They needed this, this, and this. You as the quarterback, how much do you like when the organization invests in that around you? Would you rather see them, hey, we need a linebacker? Hey, we need a tackle? I want uh, the only alternative, the only question there is do, do you need an offensive lineman yeah i'm i'm thinking offense all the way the heck with the defense yep. let's go 
what's going to make <laughs> us score 40 points a game? And here we go. Um, you ask Aaron Rodgers if you would have liked to have had one of those wide receivers instead yeah. of a backup quarterback um, or an offensive lineman. Uh, you know, I just – I would love it as long as you're solid up front. If you've got a definite weakness or a need in the offensive line, then then you that's the question mark. I, that's the only question mark. And in today's offenses, uh, with all the spread situation, you're putting those offensive linemen in, in a lot of one-on-one positions. You talked about your status in the Cal in the uh, locker room in Calgary when we were talking about the Rock. At what point do you, as a quarterback, feel comfortable enough in a locker room to go to the organization and say, "I need help"? You know, I never felt that. Yeah, I, I was never, I was wondering if you did. Never felt that. Um, I maybe if I when I some of my CFL like especially Calgary and Toronto when I was having a lot of success, um, they probably would have listened to me. Yeah, but I never felt like that was my position or place. I mm-hmm. never felt like it was. Um, but you know, I go back to that Aaron Rodgers situation where you want to help your offense, or are they looking for a quarterback of the future? Um, you know, I, I you can't ask, you can't ask your starting quarterback should we draft a backup quarterback for you because you're getting old. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just you know I would think a guy like Brady when he was in New England. Uh, might have a little bit of say, or they might come. You don't approach them. They have to come ask you. It's just mm. not your place. I'm trying to remember. You talked about Buffalo. You mentioned Eric Molds. That one I would have known right away. I'm trying to remember other receivers you would have played with in Buffalo. Did you catch late Andre Reed yes. and early Peerless Price? Are these guys that were on those Correct. Bills teams? Okay. Both those guys were on the team. And then uh, Kevin Williams was a slot back from Dallas that came okay. over. And uh, we had, you know, Andre was an exceptional route runner and ran a lot of great hitches, slants, little quick stuff, double move stuff. But he really didn't have the burst to blow by anybody when I, I played, you know, a couple of years with him. Um, but he would he was he was a go to uh, Kevin Williams was a go to on third down. Peerless Price speed guy. And then and Molds was was the number one receiver. I think about your time in Buffalo. I think about your time in the CFL. If you didn't play games on actual AstroTurf, would you have made it to 50 playing? I mean, how much time did AstroTurf take off your career? I played on the old AstroTurf. Yes. Okay. My rookie year with the New Jersey Generals, the Chicago Bears, old AstroTurf, New England Patriots, old AstroTurf. Um, Then I went to Canada, old AstroTurf, old AstroTurf, old AstroTurf. Then I came back to Buffalo, old AstroTurf. And then finally, when I went to San Diego, a grass field. And you were talking about playing on a slab of asphalt with a half-inch pad on top of it. And that's it. It's like getting tackled uh, on a parking lot. It Basically. Basically. And you know what, though? When I was young, especially, I thought it was a big advantage because I was exceptionally quick on that and felt faster on it. And it didn't bother my knees. And the big uh, linemen, linebacker, even anybody that had any size to them, it killed their knees. And uh, I felt like my change of direction was much better on that than than on grass. And that the bigger guy's not necessarily true. I thought I had an advantage on that stuff, but it did beat the tar out of my knees. I'm also thinking like back to the day, NFL primetime, I'm watching Chris Berman, Tom Jackson. They're showing the highlights on an AstroTurf field. There's the giant thermometer. I can just picture it going around to like 125 at game time in some of these places. No doubt about it. Uh, uh, down Miami had old AstroTurf. I don't think I ever played on that. That was way back. They started it. Um, but some of the, yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, I remember seeing thermometers at 120 degrees, all that on the field stuff. Uh, the worst astro- AstroTurf in history was the Houston Astrodome because oh. they had a baseball field. Yeah. And they, they filled in the areas with AstroTurf and the mound would go down. But there were seams all over the place. And back in oh the USFL God. days, a receiver, Scott McGee, played with the Houston Gamblers. Jim Kelly was their quarterback. Hmm. It's got on a diving catch. He caught it and slid on the turf. The edge of his face mask caught a seam and he did a flip. Oh my God. Caught by the seam. So yeah, there was some, there was some bad turfs. 
I wonder what the worst stadium you played in in the NFL was. I grew up in Seattle, right? So I used to go to Seahawks games when I was younger, the old Kingdom, another AstroTurf baseball hybrid facility. The beam fell down from the ceiling at one point. The Seahawks had to go play at, at Washington's Husky Stadium for a couple of years. So like, I love the Kingdom, but everyone tells me what a dump it was. What's the worst stadium you can recall playing in? I've heard nothing good about the Kingdom or old Cleveland Stadium. Well, as far as the stadium itself, um old foxborough stadium wow stadium foxborough stadium was the old hard astroturf and they had what they called super turf it did at least astroturf had little bristles that stuck up super turf was bald and flat oh my god Um, the stands were just a big open stadium stands on the side and, and stands in the end zones with the open corners and wind blowing through um, as far as a stadium, that was the one that needed the biggest upgrade in a hurry. Uh, there were, I, I don't, don't get me started on some of the Canadian stadiums. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Aaron, give me the opponent spotlight. Opponent spotlight. So last week I gave you this, it was Melvin Gordon. If he plays, I still think that's the guy. If he doesn't play, I'll go with Jerry Judy, but that's kind of immaterial right now. The guy who's really in the crosshairs in Denver is John Elway as the executive there. Now, we've brought him a Super Bowl, but people are calling for his head out there. Aaron, let's hear what Zach By told us last week about Elway. So, Zach By number three. The sitting guy in charge, Joe Ellis, he's not going to fire John Elway. Like, no one wants to be the guy to fire the most famous person in the history of Colorado. Not like yeah. the Broncos or the – like, the state of Colorado, John Elway's the most famous <laughs> figurehead uh, that this state has ever had. So, no one wants to be the guy to, to come in and fire him. And then the other side of the argument is, like, yes, this is the worst stretch of Broncos football since the early. So it's the worst stretch of Broncos football since the early 70s, he went on to say. Wow. My question for you is actually not so much a question as a, as a statement. People say, oh, I want Tom Brady to come back and own part of the Patriots. I want Tom Brady to come back and run the Patriots. I want Tom Brady to come back and coach the Patriots. I want no part of that because I don't want what's happening to Elway to ever happen to Brady. I agree 100%. I when you take those type of roles, you know at some point you're going to be fired. When you become a head coach, you're going to be fired. When you be, it's like you know, would I? I wouldn't want the headaches financially. These guys are sound. Some guys need the 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 challenge of continuing to be successful at some, and building something. And they love football so much they want to be around it. I love the game. But I didn't want to work that hard when I was done. I didn't want to work yeah. as hard as that uh, that job demands. And to blemish anything that you did on the field by having, because eventually you're going to get fired. Uh, you know, everybody, you know, anybody that's a manager in Major League Baseball or a head coach in football, other than Belichick, I guess. <laughs> um, although he's been fired, you know, yeah. in Cleveland days. And, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want that. I just. Uh, you know, and, and in his situation, it probably wouldn't be a firing. It would be him resigning or stepping down to another position. Or something. You know, if they if they really wanted to make that change, I think they'd find a way to do it. But see, you know what? It wouldn't bother me if Tom Brady was the GM of the Falcons and failed. It would bother me if he was the GM of the Patriots and failed. Like, we always hear this in college, right? Like, Jim Harbaugh, Michigan man, is going to restore the Michigan way. And now – they might want to fire him at some point. You're talking about firing a legend. Like, would you ever want to work at BC? Because all I could do really is taint your legacy if it didn't work. I wouldn't mind working at BC or being a part of a coaching staff or being involved with the program. But I don't want to be the head coach. I don't want that. You're you're gonna have a you're gonna have a year that you're two and ten, and you know it. You don't want to destroy what you built. Right. Yes. But you love the challenge. Like there, there were some years where I thought about it because you want to help the program and be a part of it and help them get back to where we were. And I think, by the way, Jeff Halfley over there is doing a great job. And it's mm-hmm. doing great this year. They really, I mean, they very well could be undefeated right now. But um, I really love, I just like the way they're playing. So I, no, I wouldn't want that headache and I wouldn't want to throw that on myself. I mean, it's a great story when the hometown guy goes home and wins, right? Like, that's a great story. But when the hometown guy goes home and loses, it puts everybody in a really, really weird position. And, again, I want Brady nowhere near the Patriots ever unless he's – until he gets his number retired and his jersey's on the wall of fame, and then that's it. That, that's all I want. 
I don't think he wants any part of it either. I think yeah, you know, we talked about it before, his family life and things. Through, you start taking priority. Coaches do not see their family. People, especially in the NFL, these coaches work their tail off. They're in the, they live in their offices late Friday afternoon or sa- late Saturday afternoon, excuse me, late Saturday afternoon, they see their families for a little while. <laughs> All right, Patriots in Denver getting ready Sunday at 1 o'clock. I want to get to our interview. It's with former Broncos defensive back and current Denver radio host Nick Ferguson. All right, welcome back in. It is the Believe in Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network, getting ready for Patriots and Broncos. Uh, Doug's going to step out here for a second. I'm going to talk to Nick Ferguson, former Broncos defensive back, decade in the league, played with the Jets also, Texans, uh, played his college ball at Georgia Tech. Um, Nick – you got to tell me the story you just told me about you and Doug off the air. You got to bring that on the air. I don't want to make you tell it again, but come on, that was gold. No, it, it, it's a great story. And uh, I've always looked up to Doug because uh, he, like myself, people said a lot of things about what he couldn't do. And growing up in Miami, it was one of those things that there, there are certain schools that you hated. It was uh, the Flor- Florida State, uh, yeah. the Seminoles, you hated them. And then also you hated Boston College, right? <laughs> And as a kid growing up, I, I couldn't remember, I uh, didn't realize why we were supposed to hate Boston College, but it was this guy by the name of Doug Flutie who threw this <laughs> Hail Mary pass to beat the University of, yeah. of Miami, right? So for, for me, I, I once again, like I said, I grew up watching Doug, and I got a chance to uh, be teammates with him for a short period of time when I was on the Bills practice squad. So fast forward a couple of uh, years later, I'm playing for the Denver Broncos, and he's playing for the Chargers. And, you know, I knew that uh, from watching Doug, he would always like to escape to a certain side. So I was kind of mentally prepared because I was like, this dude is quick. He <laughs> is very elusive and he's not going to make me look like a fool uh, on this field. So as he's trying to escape, I make the sack. But, he, but the best part of it is as I'm helping him up, I say, uh, hey, Doug, hey, listen, I'm, I'm a huge fan. You obviously <laughs> know this. And so is my mom. Right. But can, can you sign? An autograph for her, it would make her day. And I'm, I'm doing this while I'm helping him up off the ground. And because we go back to the Buffalo Bills days, he had definitely agreed to it. So my mom has a jersey, and I have a jersey <laughs> of Doug Flutie. So that, that, that was kind of awesome for me. That's like the, uh, the antithesis of what I would expect. You sack a guy, and you're, being the one, you're the one being nice to him. Like Andrew Luck, he would get <laughs> sacked, and he'd be like, hey, nice hit, man. And I thought that was weird. You were doing it a decade before Andrew Luck. Yeah, man. It, it, once again, you know, we are competitors when we touch the field. But at the same time, there is a competitive competitiveness that we have. But it's that brotherhood as well. Just like when I played against Tom Brady. Tom Brady was, you know, a, a great a, elite guy. We know that from watching his career. But if you made a great play against him, you know, he would tell you, hey, you made a great play. Mm. But he also remind you that is the only one that you're going to make. So... You know, Doug and I were talking at the beginning of the podcast because we were promoing the interview, and he he remembers you. You guys were practice squad. He we were on the practice squad in Buffalo when he was a quarterback in Buffalo. He definitely remembers you. But I said to him, I said, "Hey, Doug, like you played a lot of teams, a lot of places. You've had a lot of teammates. Do you remember all of them?" And he said, "No, I probably don't remember every team I ever had." When you were a practice squad guy, and you've got a guy like Doug Flutie there as your quarterback, how much do you, as a younger guy trying to get established in the league, look up to a guy like that? Oh, you definitely do because, once again, I mean, Doug is a little different from, you know, a lot of guys. And being an undrafted player coming into the league, you just look at the struggle that uh, Doug went through, right? Most teams looking at him and saying, well, he's not tall enough. He doesn't have the skill set to be an NFL quarterback. And you see him come to work every day. And here's here's another funny story about (laughs) Buffalo. Uh, You know, Rob Johnson was on our team then at the time. And I don't think Rob really liked the fact that most of the fans, just like myself, they looked to Doug because he, he was that guy who gave you the inspiration before there was Tim Tebow. So mm-hmm. everyone looked at him and say, idolized him because they figured, okay, they see a lot of themselves in Doug. And what would happen is when Rob would come out at practice, people would cheer. But when Doug would come out, I mean, it would erupt so much that I know it irritated Rob. But it was funny to us because I'm just like – this is who you know Doug Flutie is. This is why people love him, you know, because he's he's the, he's the, the that natural underdog that just kind of continues to chip and chip at uh, every turn that he has, and that's why Doug has been successful. I can't get behind a quarterback like Rob Johnson who wears the NBA style headband, though, as I recall. Like I can't get behind like Baker's got kind of the thin headband, but Rob Johnson yeah. had like 
he looks like LeBron out there with the head. I can't get behind that. <laughs> well, you know what? Th th those were two different uh, quarterbacks going yeah. in two different directions at that time. Rob was the USC guy, and Doug was, hey, he was the shorter you know, uh, quarterback in stature, but he was just kind of larger in life. And you can tell that in the locker room through how you know, some guys kind of gravitated towards Doug opposed to that of Rob. And you have somewhat of a similar career tra uh, trajectory to Doug in that you also it didn't come easy at first, right? Undrafted, right. you had to play in Canada. You played in NFL Europe when that was going on. Doug obviously is a CFL Hall of Famer. I asked him this earlier in the week. Was the CFL more fun than the NFL? Yeah, man. And most people don't believe that. In the Maybe not as a defensive player, though. No. <laughs> as a defensive player, you know, you, you, you may not think that because the field was so wide and so long. But it prepared me for that jump when it coming back. And I remember crossing paths with uh, Doug before he went to Buffalo. He was with mm. the, uh, Toronto Argonauts. Yeah. And when I say that he was that dude, he was that dude. I mean, he, he struck fear in everyone because his skill set and the things that he can do. It was almost like, you know, we look at uh, Russell Wilson and, and Kyler Murray right now. And Doug was doing those things in the CFL, in the yeah. NFL, you know, way back then. But uh, it, it, was, it was great to play in the CFL. The fan base was just kind of so welcoming. And they loved football, right? They, and, and, and here's the thing. It was outdoors types of football. And for me, yeah. a, a, a kid growing up in Miami had never been in Canada before. Mm. And I had never seen snow. And, man, when I say it was cold, <laughs> it was cold. <laughs> you know, I've been watching football my whole life, 30 years old, watching football my whole life. I could not tell you every rule of Canadian football still. How long did it take you to learn all the rules when you were playing? Uh, it, it, it took some time. It, it, usually what happens is, you know, you, you kind of uh, have a flag thrown on you for you to realize, oh, oh, that's a penalty. Oh, th this is yeah. a rule. And when you play, and, and Doug would know this, when you get inside the red zone, like an NFL, it is true red zone. In the CFL, it's not. And that goalpost would sit right in the middle of the field. And wide receivers yes. would run routes right at that goalpost, yes. and it was almost like setting an extra pick in basketball. Yeah. But, 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 but once again, that was one of those things that made the CFL so great. I want to talk to you about what is probably the biggest moment of your career, I would guess. It involves the Patriots. So it's the 05 season, but the 06 year, the 06 playoffs. Yeah. You helped end the Patriots season. I believe it was the divisional round of the playoffs. So the famous Tom Brady interception, 100-yard return by Champ Bailey. You helped set up the play. Break it down for us. Well, I'll start by saying this. So the Broncos, in, in anticipation of playing the Patriots on Sunday, they put that out on Instagram. So there's so many people right now hmm. on Instagram <laughs> reacting to that play like several years later, and they're asking that one question. Why didn't the guys who were leading the caravan for Champ Bailey not block for him? So let me go ahead and take you and give you the full play. So, yeah. so right, just like you said, it was a divisional round of the playoffs. And this was a year that, uh, you know, the Patriots, I mean, they were grooving. You know, no one had beaten them that year. And we beat them earlier in the season when they came to us. And we knew how important the second game would be. So I'm getting ready to blitz. The, the, the tackle and the guard are having a conversation because they're saying, look, 25 is not coming. And the reason they said that, because usually they never blitz me. The defensive coordinator, Larry Correa, never blitz me. He would mm -hmm. always blitz John Lynch. So as these two guys are having this conversation, I'm laughing in my head because I'm like, these guys, they may not block me. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, well, if they don't, what am I going to do? And then the ball is snapped. It parts like the Red Sea. And I see this one guy standing back there like six yards. I'm like, that's Tom Brady go get him. So as I'm going to get him, Tom sees me flash out the left side of his eye and he's trying to roll to his right and he can't really set his feet to throw an accurate pass. Yeah. So he throws it, a champ barely steps in front of Troy Brown, we're off and running. So as I'm looking to my left and right, I see Kelvin Falk, he was the first guy to try to, to bring him down. He was unsuccessful. So we're running, I'm looking left to right, so I see Troy Brown. So I just kind of step in front of Troy Brown so he can't get to Champ Bailey. And then I see this flash of light and, and a white jersey flash in front of my face. And I'm like, what was that? And mm. the next thing I know, I realized it was Ben Watson. Yes. And I'm like, where did he come from? Right? <laughs> I'm like, where did he come from? But here's the crazy part about it. That next day, we watched the tape. No one talks about, 
you know, what great job I did from a blitzing standpoint. <laughs> All they can talk about is how Champ Bailey got hurt, how I did not block Ben Watson. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I never saw him. Yeah, I'm amazed at the fact that you went 100 yards and there was no penalty because usually when defensive players are in a blocking position, they're not used to blocking. I'm just yeah. waiting for the block in the back to come around, <laughs> and it didn't happen. So No, see, the reason it didn't happen because Champ was so far out ahead because he was like two yards and maybe four yards inside the, the end zone when he, when he started to take off. And a lot of the guys who you would normally see and, and maybe pushing because they don't know how to block, those were pass rush guys. And they were just kind of in a run and chase mode. So it was it was a great play. It was very historic. But I still get uh, beef uh, about it today as far as why did I not block for champ? Now, as you know, moving to the game this week, I'll ask you two quick questions before I let you go. Um, as it stands, as we tape this, I don't know if Melvin Gordon's going to play or not, right? Like Vic Fangio might discipline him. He might get suspended by the team, whatever. What is he doing getting arrested? I mean, you've got COVID protocols. You've got driving under the influence. You've got speeding. What is Melvin Gordon doing? Look, man, I would love to uh, have that answer. I would love yeah. to sit down and, and chat with him, but you hit the nail on the head. There are so many violations that he committed by going out with friends. The league put in uh, protocols and standards based on what happened with Tennessee and obviously uh, with Cam Newton and Stephon Gilmore being said to they've had dinner together, and that's yeah. how those two guys may have passed the COVID uh, to one another. And what make, m- makes matters worse, I mean, Melvin Gordon, along with a couple other leaders on this Broncos uh, team, came out and uh, verbally, you know, to talk about, you know, the Patriots, the league itself and how they lost the bye week and why should we have to be punished? But then you go out and do the same thing that you're criticizing the Patriots for, but you, you kind of double down by driving under the influence and then driving, uh, I believe, uh, 25 to 39 miles yeah. over the speed limit. So that's that's a bad look for you as a running back. And there's uh, some some financial drawback too as well, because if he gets suspended, that's a possibility that he can lose maybe four point five to seven million dollars next year. So it's a crazy situation. And if I'm Coach Fangio, I don't play him. I don't play him at all. So Gordon might not play. Cortland Sutton's hurt. KJ Hamler's not going to play. Von Miller's out. I look at this and say the Broncos don't have a chance to win. But they do get Drew Locke back, and they do get – we don't know what Cam Newton's going to look like from all his time off here. Do the Broncos have a chance in your eyes? No, uh, they really don't. Uh, and, and the reason I say that because uh, when I look at how you can change the, 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 this game, right, and you change the game through pass rush, Bradley Chubb is not 100%. Right now with the time off, maybe he's about 80 85%. But then you ask yourself, well – who is the other pass rusher opposite him? And then looking at what Josh McDaniels has been able to do with a guy like Cam Newton, that puts a lot of pressure on the defense. And if you were Coach Fangio and say, well, I'm going to use my, one of my linebackers to spy on Cam Newton. I'm like, well, which one of your linebackers is athletic enough and fast enough? The only guy is Alexander Johnson. And I'd rather take Cam Newton in that kind of matchup. And then you just kind of look at what the Patriots have been able to do, right? Even going back from Tom Brady, the how they use their running backs. They use their running backs as wide receivers. And we know Julian Elderman is the elder statesman on that uh, wide receiver core. He's going to be the one guy that the Broncos are going to try to stop because they're going to try to force Nikhil Harry and everyone else to beat them. So this is going to be a tough task. Drew Locke is coming back, just like you say, Cam Newton. What is Drew Locke going to look like yeah. you know, with that shoulder injury? And he is one uh, fall or uh, one trip from you know now allowing Brett Ripon to come in, so everything doesn't look like it falls in the Broncos' uh, favor. If you ask me, would you rather as a you're the defensive back? Would you rather get a sack or have a pick? Which one's more fun to the DB? Uh, interception. Okay, Maybe because interceptions are so rare. So I'm just going to assume Tom Brady is the answer to this question for everybody. Take Tom Brady out. Who's the one guy you would have wanted to get a pick off of? Wow. So, so, so are we talking today or just no, when you were playing, when you were playing. Okay. So I already picked up uh, Peyton Manning. So uh, that's that, pretty good. yeah, that, that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, Brett Favre. Okay. Brett, Brett Favre. Favre. I, I came into the league when uh, Brett Favre was winding down and I've heard about how uh, his balls have a lot of velocity and I, and I can contest to that to uh, attest to that. Because Aaron Beasley, when we were playing, when I was playing for the Jets, we were playing the Packers. Yeah. And there was a ball that Brett Favre threw 
that hit Aaron Beasley in a helmet. And the <laughs> yes, the imprint of the ball was on his helmet. Wow. Yes. Um, Unbelievable. Nick Ferguson, he's a former Broncos defensive back, played with the Jets, played with the Texans up in Canada, Europe, Georgia Tech, also now a radio host at 104.3, the fan in Denver. You can check him out at night. So, uh, Doug, sorry he was not on the interview, but I'll set you guys up off air, and I'm sure he'll come on your radio show. So, Nick, man, we appreciate it. Enjoy the game on Sunday. All right, man. Do the same. All right, thanks to Nick Fer- uh, Nick Ferguson for joining us. Doug said hi to him as well. He was his practice squad teammate in Buffalo. I'm amazed, by the way, Nick Ferguson sent me a picture of you and him and some Packers quarterback who I tried to identify wearing number seven that I couldn't remember who it was right away, but I ha- I'm trying to remember who that was. But he had a picture of you. I looked at the pi- I didn't recognize the quarterback either. I know. I'm going to have a picture. Um, I didn't recognize the quarterback. I do remember Nick from our playing days. And um, – I, 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 I was, you know, as soon as I saw seven, I was thinking Jeff Garcia was over in, uh, and then I'm like, no, Jeff was number, he was out in San Francisco. He was out in San Francisco. And then I'm like, who is this guy? I have no idea. <laughs> so I'm going to have to look it up. Packers quarterbacks. Well, like 1998, 1999, yeah, 98, 98 or 99. So I'm gonna have to look it up. But so Matt Hasselbeck was there, but it's not him. Cause I know what Matt Hasselbeck looks like. And you do also being a BC guy, but Hasselbeck was there 98 to 2000. There's no way that picture is Hasselbeck. There's no Hasselbeck ha- hasn't had hair for a very long time. And that guy had I hair. Don't think so. I, <laughs> I know I'm going to do that some. in my mind, but I don't think so. I didn't look at See, now we got to do All we got to do is pull our phones out and look it up. You know, you can, uh, that's like <laughs> the kids today know that they don't have to memorize any information. They just pull up their phone and look at it. They know where to find everything. I know. I through my phone, hand it to my kid and she finds whatever I need. Okay, number seven on the '98 Packers was a guy named Chris Hansen, but he only played one game. So I'm gonna, I'll investigate this more. Okay. So we'll figure out the Nick Ferguson practice squad Doug picture here. <laughs> At some point, we'll get the answer here. Aaron, let's get back into uh, the full podcast here. Um, random Patriots Twitter takes. Uh, let's get to this one. The internet is a weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The internet. Now it's crazy Patriot Twitter takes. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. (laughs) All right. Crazy Patriots Twitter takes. Doug, everybody I see wants the Patriots to sign Le'Veon Bell. Please tell me that they should not sign Le'Veon Bell. Running back is the one position I feel really good with them about. I don't need Le'Veon Bell. I, I kind of feel the same way. Um, he is a patient style of runner. The Patriots need backs that are going to catch balls out of the backfield. I like Burkhead going north and south. I like White catching the ball out of the backfield. In fact, Burkhead, I think, has more catches right now out of the backfield. Yeah. And I, I, I like where they are, and I don't like rocking the boat, but Bill is always looking to get better. If he sees, if he sees a way to use them, a, a way that – they can use him in something they're not doing now, then he he would make a move. Bell comes cheaply because the Jets have to play any difference between his six million he's owed and then whatever the, the Patriots would give him. So he comes cheaply. He'd likely come motivated. But Sony Michelle, Rex Burkhead, Damian Harris, JJ Taylor, James White, I, I don't see a huge role for Le'Veon Bell. So if he doesn't get a huge role, I see him becoming disgruntled. And I don't see that being something the Patriots and Cam Newton need to deal with in already a hectic season. See, that's why you go back to when he made the decision. You know, when you're in a good situation and things are going well, don't mess with it. You know, back, yeah. in, back in Pittsburgh, I, I just – you, you don't mess with that. You just keep going and – and put yourself in a position to be successful. So much in football is the guys surrounding you. Your success is dependent on the guys on the field and that team. And a lot of guys make moves in free agency and think they're worth more money. And, and, and you make a move and you may end up on the Jets. Yeah, I think so much of football is dependent on the situation that you go into. Who's your coach? Who's your owner? What teammates do you have around you? Like, I look at it now. Forget that he's he's not what he used to be now. But like, if Philip Rivers had had what Tom Brady had, I mean, we might be talking about Philip Rivers being one of the best quarterbacks of all time. So much of it is where you came in and who you've got around you. Perfect example. And I go back to my era. 
Steve Young was drafted by Tampa. Tampa. Yes. Bay. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure how many years he spent at Tampa Bay, but Steve Young was a bust. That's what mm-hmm. you know, all the pump. Everybody was saying, you know, Steve, they had losing seasons in Tampa Bay. He's getting hit. He's getting beat up, throwing interceptions. He goes to San Francisco. He backs up Montana for a little while, takes over the starting job, and he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. And it's got nothing to do with his ability. He had that ability day one. It has to do with the team, the coaching staff, the surroundings, the guys. Yeah, it just you got to put yourself in a position to be successful. And when you find that position, don't mess with it. It's so hard, though. And I take myself back to I'm trying, you know, I don't have all the facts in front of me to the Le'Veon Bell Pittsburgh negotiations. I know they offered him stuff. I know he held out. So I know some of it is on him. But the running back being devalued definitely hurts a guy like Le'Veon Bell in this case because. I don't know that a four-year, $52 million deal was waiting for him in Pittsburgh, right? Like, it's easier for us to say, oh, he should have stayed in Pittsburgh, but I don't know that that offer existed in Pittsburgh. But do you need that? Like, I don't know what the offer was either, and I don't know what the offer was that he took. He obviously took an offer worth more. When that was four worth. years, $52 million. Okay. That I know. Is it worth doing that, and your career ends up being a little bit shorter, and you get beat up, and you're not going to the playoffs? and you're not in a position to win a Super Bowl, you know, at some point in your career, maybe it is. You know, for some guys that hadn't made any money or, or you, know, you get that one opportunity to get the big contract, you take it. Yeah. But if you're a guy that's, you know, been paid pretty well and you're in a playoff stretch or a team that's going to be a contender, you might stay there and say, hey, let's take a shot at winning a couple of rings. And that's, you know, the, I, at the end of the day, most of the guys want to win championships and and you know if you're a draft choice that's down that's you know a lower draft choice and hasn't made money yeah you you might need that one free agent contract to set yourself up for life and that becomes more important you know as long as you're in a position though where you've made enough money you've made good money and you can take care of your family then guys start thinking about the ring Yeah, see, that's where I'm going with you on that, too. I think quarterbacks care about the ring, okay? I think Cam, he's okay. $1 million salary, I got a better chance of getting a ring. Legacy defines quarterback by rings. I don't think running backs, linebackers, I don't think that they – I think they want opportunity to play, and with opportunity to play comes opportunity to make money, opportunity to get endorsements. And I think the ring – I think it comes later down the list to them. Yeah, you're probably right, but I can't relate to that. Yeah, right. I, I just can't. You're a quarterback. I can't, I can't relate to that thinking at all. And but you know, you talk about the running back position, and uh, I think Bill Belichick said it years ago that he wasn't going to take a high round draft choice as a running back. You know that those those guys, he feels like he can find quality guys a few rounds later that are going to get the job done, and they don't last that long anyway. And there was this mentality, so. The fact that their careers are much shorter than a quarterback's career, um, you know, they've got to look for opportunities to make money, I guess. But I, I really struggle. And the guys that I I really struggle with that mentality, yeah. the guys that I played with, I know didn't have that mentality with the way they ran. I was fortunate enough to play with Thurman Thomas, Walter yeah. Payton, LaDainian Tomlinson. I mean, I was fortunate to play with guys that were, they, they just wanted to win at all costs. You know, something you can relate to, though, and I've asked this question of a, a couple of pro athletes I've interviewed in the past, so I'll ask you. i give you this scenario. And as someone, I think this is something you probably face in your career. Would you rather be the starter of a 5-11 and 11 team or the backup on a team that has a chance to win a Super Bowl? I mean, that's something you can relate to. Do I play, but the team's not as great? Or am I sitting on the bench, but I have a chance for a ring? I definitely would say at the end of my career, I want to be on the bench when a team had a chance to get the ring. Okay. I, I definitely say at some point, though, in your career, you got you want that leap and you want to take a shot at it. You know, mm-hmm. you want you want the reins. And that's kind of where I, I played five years and I was labeled as a backup in the NFL. And I went to Canada to be a starter and play and have fun. Right. Like to, to, it, it ended up developing my game, regaining a lot of confidence. And I came back and became a starter, but um, you can only play the game so long. You want to be on the field. You want to be pulling the trigger. You want to be playing, but 
at some point in your career, like I left, I, I got out of San Diego and intentionally tried to get to New England to, to see if we could win a ring and be behind Tom. And I got the pom-poms out and cheered all <laughs> for Tom Brady and hope we'd win a ring. Another crazy Twitter take. This one actually comes from me. So I'm going to ask you this. And this is something I don't know that I actually think this should happen, but I was thinking about it the other day. So let me set it up for you. Let me preface this also. I don't want to see games become 9-6. I don't want boring, low-scoring defensive football games. But I'm also seeing as a fan, and I don't have a stat to prove this, but passing has become more prevalent. Passing has become easier given how good players are and given that the defense can't do much. And now analytics is telling you to go for it on fourth and two or less all the time. So it feels like it's become a four-down league and getting a first down has become easier. I saw Major League Baseball in the 60s change the mound from 15 inches down to 10 because Bob Gibson Gibson was so dominant. Would we ever get to the point where 15 yards is needed for a first down? Because if passing is going to be so easy, the defense can't do anything, and now we're going to go for it on fourth down, doesn't the defense need some advantage? Maybe, maybe Maybe first and 15 should be the norm. I don't know, but I was thinking it the other day. Yeah, I, I don't know about fourth and fifth or first and fifteen. First and twelve. But um, I know it's crazy. Rules, it's hard to the fathom. Have, the rules have to swing back. The 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 inability. There was a ball caught uh, last night's game. There was a ball caught in the middle of the field where it was thrown high. The guy went up, caught it, came down, and touchdown. Yep. And I'm thinking. 15 years ago, they would have needed a stretcher for that guy and taken him off the field. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but it just points out that, especially when you have tight ends like Gronk or guys that were big and strong and could go up, you didn't fear throwing the ball up into the middle, letting him go up, because the defensive back now has to let him catch it, grab him and tackle him to the ground rather than blowing him up and knocking the ball loose. Right. A lot of the rules have favored the passing game, and that – you know, maybe they they start allowing the corners to be more physical. Let them bang down the field a little further. Um, I just I think that the style of offenses is what's scoring all the points more than anything. It's like you realize it's not three yards in a cloud of dust. They're not afraid. The passing game is efficient, and they're not afraid to turn the ball over. Uh, changing the down and distance would buffer that. I could see that in the game up north because the field's wider. Yeah. I always thought that, I always thought it was cheating up there because the field was so wide and there was so much space. It felt like I could scramble and run anytime I wanted. Mm-hmm. But um, that one, you yeah, first and 15, even with three down football, I feel like we'd be moving the chains. So maybe, maybe there's an idea there. Well, hey, I, I I, for- right now I don't agree with that. That's why it's crazy Twitter takes. I don't know that it's a good idea, but I just know. And it was, I was watching, I think it was Minnesota, Seattle. I go back to last Sunday and it was just, it feels like it's so easy to get a first down in this game because Seattle can't stop anybody. So maybe just watching them skewed my, skewed my thought. I was like, getting a first down feels easy. Maybe if I was watching the bears, I wouldn't feel that way, but it's, it's not as easy as it looks. That's all I can say. I've, (laughs) I've had games where it felt easy. And I, especially back in the eighties, I remember games where getting a first down just felt like pulling. T- it was like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, you're playing against the uh, 85, 86 bears defense True. and you can't run the ball. You can't hold on to the ball more than 1.6 seconds. You're getting hit. They're beating the heck out of your wide receivers. No one can get off the line of scrimmage. Um, it uh, shotguns open up the game. Everybody back in gun, everybody being able to run the ball out of the gun. You don't have to block. You can take the the premier defensive end in the game and not block them in the run game because you can zone read them and play yeah. off of them. You know, it's like option football. So the ideas that have come up on offense have uh, taken certain players out of the game or made it, made it, made it a little bit easier. Well, it looks like the Patriots are going to have their offense opened up to them on Sunday. Cam looks like he's going to have an opportunity to play. As we tape this, the uh, the the word is optimistic for him. So we'll end it there for the day. I'm going to say the Patriots win this game. More low scoring. I'll say 27-17 because Denver's too beaten up. But I think the Patriots win the game. Doug, do you want to give an official prediction? Yeah, I'd say the Pats will score 30. Um, and Denver 
struggling somewhere in the teens, 14. Okay. It's got 30-14. All right, so he's got 30-14. to 14. I've got 27-17. to 17. He's the Hall of Famer, the Heisman Trophy winner, Doug Flutie. I'm Brady Farkas, Aaron Wells, pressing the buttons. Thanks to Nick Ferguson for joining us as well. Believe in Patriots. You can subscribe, rate, review, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you, you get your podcasts. And until next time, go Pats. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.